You know, they say Mickey Mantle threw an incredible knuckleball, right? That nobody would even play catch with him on the sideline, uh, on the side. Because Wade Boggs, too, right? Through Pete Lecoq. Why, why didn't they do that? Why didn't they? I mean, Mickey Mantle, I mean, you know, like, you know, I'm retiring, but now I'm a knuckleball pitcher. I mean, how awesome would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Extremely awesome is it the answer. Awesome. Yes. Good morning, and welcome to episode 157 of Effectively Wild, the BP Daily Podcast. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach. Uh, joining me as always, Sam Miller. Hello, Sam. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. I think that's the first time in uh, the show's history that you've referred to it as the BP Daily Podcast. Yeah, I guess so. Well, we've been off for a while and I've rethought things. Uh, so we we've come back with a new format where I say time to, where yeah, we say time to bring some abbreviations into this thing. Yeah. Um, so for the first time since January, we do not have a team to preview, and we do not have a guest to talk to, and, and I yet, barely remember what to do now. Yeah, and yet Kyle Loesch still unsigned. <laughs> we should That's just talk ins- seriously. Like I don't have anything to say about the Kyle Loesch thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, maybe I will if we decide to talk about it later this week. But like, what in the world? It's this season starts in 19 days from <laughs> when you're listening to this, and he's not signed. It's crazy. This is insane that he finished seventh in Cy Young voting last year. Matt Cain finished sixth, and he finished seventh. And there's 19 days, Ben. I'd love to know what his demands have fallen to now. Because I would too. Yeah, I would too. This would make this is going to ultimately this is going to make for uh, probably an interesting story. Uh, Do you when think that, that he will just wait until after the draft now? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope he's working out somewhere or throwing off a mound or something. I'm sure he is. I, it, it'd be interesting to know how much it meant. I mean, if he signed tomorrow, would he? be ready for i mean is there any chance that he'd be ready i'm sure scott boris has a full spring training facility for his clients uh, he he does but you know they always say that it doesn't right you know it's not the same and why isn't he in the wbc it seems like if anybody's yeah that's a good free point. maybe <laughs> maybe they didn't want him either <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't like that fit yeah you need a he costs a draft pick if he plays for the team uh so can we just preview some other team? Like, like I don't know, the, the Lansing Lugnuts. How are they looking for this year? Start over on the Yankees, just keep doing this. <laughs> uh, okay, I guess we'll, we'll talk about something else. Uh, we are going to revive the listener email shows. Some of you have, there have been some emails trickling in, even though we weren't answering them. Uh, but we will revive them, and I guess we will do one Wednesday, and probably we will just keep doing them indefinitely, maybe probably after the season starts also, because we like them and you seem to like them. So send us uh, emails at that address that we have for emails, which was podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Yep, yeah. please. Yes. So should I just start talking now? So you, uh, <laughs> so you went to the Saber convention this weekend, yeah? Yes. Uh, and you had previously went. Uh, you previously had gone to the winter meetings this winter, and it, we talked on the show about how it was maybe I don't know a little a little awkward or something because there wasn't really a whole lot of reason. It turns out for you to be there that all the action takes place in hotel rooms. 
Saber is totally different because all the action takes place on stages. Yes. Um, in front of you, and you're invited to, to watch. So what did you what did you think? What did you learn? Uh, well, I, I did sort of enjoy the experience more uh, than I did the winter meetings. The weather was nicer, and the area was nicer, and the format was nicer, and it it wasn't uh, at dawn till dusk um, sitting in a, a big media room with hundreds of other people waiting for something to happen. It was listening to interesting people talk all day and then going to a baseball game or going out to dinner or something, things that were not really possible at Nashville. Um, so it was, it was good. I think, uh, I mean, I went there kind of hoping to learn things and be exposed to new research and, and techniques and things. And I guess, I don't know. There wasn't a ton of of new revelations. Um, a lot of the the panels were just kind of. Um, I, I mean, do you feel that you ever learn anything when you listen to a general manager talk now? Uh, there's usually, you know, I think that there's um, uh, there's a sort of. Uh, there's information in the particular way and tone that they obfuscate. Um, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's ever totally worthless to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think that there's always, there's always information. Um, in sometimes it, it's sort of in the Kremlinological sense, um, that you're kind of maybe really having to, to, to squeeze hard to get the information. Um, but I don't find it useless. I also don't find it particularly useful, though. And it, and I think a, a lot of times the more information you think you're getting, the the less you actually are. And, and so it can be a, a bit numbing and, and uh, dulling. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so there was there was a GM panel, and, and Ray Khan was there, and John Daniels, and Jed Hoyer, and Jerry Depoto at a, at a separate event. Um, so they spoke, and, and it was interesting, and... They didn't give anything away, as you, you wouldn't expect them to. Uh, there was a, a player development panel with, with people from the Pirates and the Indians and the Giants, and they mostly didn't give anything away, and you wouldn't expect them to. Uh, there was a player panel, which turned out to be just Brandon McCarthy and Javier Lopez, which was interesting, but... Uh, the Giants, the Giants, the Giants, Javier Lopez. Yes. Um, and... I don't know. I mean, they didn't say a whole lot that you probably haven't heard Brandon McCarthy say in, in other interviews or on Twitter or something. Um, so it was just kind of a lot of listening to interesting people talk. Uh, but I, I guess the research and the new ideas were kind of concentrated uh, in a really, I guess, a few um presentations and and bill james uh was like and and brian kenny were like the workhorses of this thing they were on three different panels or, or gave keynote addresses and joe Pesnansky did double duty also and those are all very interesting uh personable people and that was wonderful and there were lots of writers and and team employees around who were great to talk to um the most memorable thing that i wrote about for for BP today, uh, so you can go read it at length, uh, was actually a business of baseball presentation, which was not something that I had really been anticipating and was not something I would have expected to come away from the 
conference finding particularly memorable, but it was, it was really, really interesting. And it, it was about the, the Indians marketing department, which is uh, sort of applying sabermetric principles to marketing. And there was a lot of guesswork with marketing as far as uh, how to advertise, how, you know, what media to use to advertise and, and how far in advance of series to advertise and how to decide which promotions to use and which one which ones worked best. And there was really no way to tell. And it was a lot of sort of tradition and, and kind of the way that player evaluation worked maybe a, a decade ago or more. And with the help of this, this consulting company called Thinkvine, the Indians basically put all of their, their data from five seasons into a, a fancy model. And it now spits out forecasts that tells them exactly how many fans they project to draw to each game and, and kind of isolates uh, all of the different factors that could affect attendance and allows them to see how effective everything is. And they are projecting that that will uh, really affect their bottom line quite a bit. They were, they were barely breaking even, it seemed, before. Uh, for every dollar they spent on media, they were getting a dollar back. Or for every dollar they spent on promotions, they were getting a dollar five back. Now it's it's like a 75% booster or more. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, there were so many team stat guys just in the audience and team employees giving talks, but they weren't giving anything away. Uh, and no one really expected them to give anything away. And you never hear them give anything away. But this was a, a team employee from the Indians just talking very openly about the innovative things that his department was doing. Uh, and it was it was surprising and, and refreshing. And I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, I uh, read that piece before we recorded. Um, and there were a bunch of interesting things in it. I think one of the interesting things about it to me was uh, when you talked about why he was willing to say all this in public when mm -hmm. baseball ops will never give away uh, anything and uh, you you sort of noted that their competition is not with uh, from the business side th their competition is not with the White Sox or the or the Royals right. it's with uh, you know a Cleveland multiplex or whatever entertainment options there are in Cleveland um, and that was interesting uh, and probably seems mostly true the other thing that was interesting though is that um, you you sort of uh, talk about how there's a, a real um, kind of wall between business and baseball ops. Um, they are really two, almost two separate companies in a way, uh, with different um, priorities and different um, incentives. And um, you know when when you when we think about where baseball ops was 15 years ago and we sort of mock how archaic and uh, group thinky and uh, uh, unadvanced it was. Um, I think that in, in a lot of ways that was presented as um, a character flaw of the traditional baseball man that it was that it was you know it was really specific to the idea of these kind of like old school baseball type you know man's man looking at the good face and all that as though that were the root of the problem but business the business side is you know these are businessmen they don't have i mean they're completely different type of personality right i mean they are uh, business has been numbers driven uh, or attempted to be numbers driven uh, for the, you know, for as long as business has been around. And yet they had, a, it seems to me that they have some of these same blind spots 
Um, and uh, so it just it, it seems as though what was maybe attributed to the baseball man is actually not really a baseball man problem, never was. It's really just more uh, the fact that organizations in general, especially once they've been around for a long time, uh, can get into some bad habits and uh, that, you know, you it's, it's always a bit hard to, um, to push yourself in a more modern direction when you have an established organization. It takes work. It takes uh, initiative. It takes somebody willing to kind of push a little bit. Um, and uh, so it's uh, it surprised me that the business sides weren't already doing all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that I think about it, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm, I mean, when I interned for the Yankees at the new stadium, baseball ops and everything else are completely separate. Different offices, different entrances and exits, different key cards that you need to use to get in. I mean, there's just almost no... I mean, there are certain places where employees mingle, but you could you could go for a week without seeing an employee of the Yankees in another organization. That's wasn't really the case at the old stadium, and and isn't really the case in every organization. But there is certainly a, a divide, and and Bill James mentioned in his address that he doesn't really even know what those people do. Uh, and it, it seems like there are opportunities to. I don't know, to use a, a business speak term to, to kind of come up with some, some synergy between those two. And and it seems like uh, this this decision that the Indians made was kind of driven by Mark Shapiro, who used to be the Indians GM and is now their president. And I've always wondered when a GM gets promoted, what that means exactly. I, I think we talked about it with, with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams a little bit. Is it just sort of I don't know, are they tired of having him run the baseball side? Because it it seems like there's almost no way you could make a a bigger impact on the team than just being the general manager. But if this is kind of the template and that promoting Mark Shapiro allowed him to kind of dabble on both sides, the baseball side and the business side, and apply techniques from one to the other and, and have a bigger impact on the organization as a whole, then I can see how that would make sense. Would you say that you knew uh, a week ago that his last name was pronounced Shapiro and not Shapiro? Uh, yes. I didn't okay. know that. I don't know why, but I did. Um, the other thing was I went to a WBC game, um, and that was the first time I had done that. I went Friday night to the USA versus Mexico game that Mexico won, uh, and I enjoyed it. It was... Last week at BP, I reran an old Joe Sheehan article from 2006, and Joe had been very critical of the WBC when it was first proposed or when it was first starting. I think before the first game, he had written kind of this long article about why it didn't make sense and he didn't like it or he didn't care about it or both, and he used all the, the usual arguments that people use for that. And then he went to a game a couple weeks after that. And then he wrote this column about how suddenly he cared about the WBC and he really enjoyed it and thought it was a good thing. So I reran that column last Friday and then sort of had the same experience myself on Friday night. Uh, I'm, I'm in favor of the WBC just because I think it's probably good for the game. And clearly there's a lot of international interest and People want to watch it, and I'm happy that they want to watch it. I didn't so much want to watch it myself, though. And 
to be honest, I, I still don't, but I think in person it was kind of a cool experience and there was definitely a lot more enthusiasm in the stands and, and kind of in an infectious way that you don't get at, at your typical baseball game. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. And uh, Who were you rooting for? Uh, I went in not really, I mean, I don't know, I... I guess I have a little bit of patriotism, but I I don't care so much about the baseball manifestation of that. So I I went in not not particularly caring about the outcome, uh, and I was kind of won over by by the Mexican fans. They were they they wanted it more, to use a cliche. They uh, they had all kinds of interesting things in the stadium that I don't know how they got into the stadium. There were these big spinning metal things with flashing electric lights all over them that they would spin after every remotely positive thing happened for the Mexican team and giant drums and giant guitars and sombreros and face paint. Uh, and it was, it was kind of exciting. And I got to see Cream Garcia up close. Uh, he is not in the best shape of his life. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Wasn't expecting to talk about Kareem Garcia. Did not do sorry. Did not do any research on Kareem Garcia before the show. Yeah. Uh, so I do not have any. I don't even have a one liner ready to go. I'm sorry. Um, can I just real quick ask something about one of the panels? I um, I'm not that interested in um, in what the what their answers would have been, but I am curious to know what Brandon McCarthy and, and Javier Lopez were asked. I'm curious what stat heads want to ask a player when they're near one. Um, do you remember what the sort of interest was there? The panel was moderated by Steve Berthume, uh, and so he did a lot of the questioning, although there, I guess there was some Q&A at the end. It was mostly, you know, how have analytics uh, affected you or improved you as a player? Um, and it, it wasn't really clear that they had in Javier Lopez's case. So, I, I mean, he was a yeah. he was a good speaker, but he didn't seem to have a whole lot of familiarity with it. He mentioned that when he was with the Red Sox, they kind of introduced him to it without pushing it on him. Uh, but it, I mean, a lot of the stuff that they talked about was just sort of the fact that they can be easily overwhelmed by stats and that even if they appreciate the value of stats, uh, they don't necessarily want to know them because it could just kind of screw them up. They don't want to be thinking about their stats which I imagine if I had any athletic talent and were a professional baseball player and also had the interests that I have, that would be probably crippling, I would think. That would be a crippling weakness. If I were a pitcher or something, I would be just constantly calculating my stats and it would be really distracting and I'd be terrible. Um, but uh, I don't know, people ask them kind of their opinion of pitcher wins and saves and, and RBI and, and the sort of typical uh, malign statistics. Um, Brandon McCarthy was, was very adamant about pitcher wins being useless, and he prefers that he'd prefer that they would be gone. Uh, Lopez, it didn't seem like aired that much, mostly because it doesn't have that big of a, a financial impact on him, either saves or wins as a, as a setup guy. Um, he kind of emphasized that it didn't really make any any impact on his his earnings, so he, he couldn't get too worked up about it. Uh, 
but it was it was you know kind of your typical questions about how analytics have helped you and what is it like talking to teammates about them and is there any interest in that and what stats do you look at and and not look at uh, the the most interesting I guess quote from the panel was something I tweeted where Brandon McCarthy said that uh, someone asked him about clubhouse chemistry um, that without Johnny Gomes and Brandon Inge, the 2012 A's may have been a 70 win team. That was, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's strange because I feel like the fact that that clubhouse chemistry causes this big rift between baseball men and, and stat heads is just kind of because each side exaggerates a little too much, I think. I mean, yeah, that seems accurate. Yeah. That seems like a very good way of stating it. I mean, I, uh, yeah, say, I, I think saying it's meaningless is is probably ridiculous, and saying that it's a 24 win swing um, based on one and a half players uh, since what Inge was added midseason, right, yeah. is also probably probably ridiculous. Although, I mean, I mean, you know. Uh, well, you know, whatever. Who knows? I mean, the issue is just that we don't really know. And so anytime you say anything, you're uh, speaking from a position without any evidence. And that tends to get people angry. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if we both kind of that probably matters to some degree, but it probably doesn't make or break most seasons. And yet it's also not. And I feel like we could all probably agree on that. But it seems that we kind of tend to, to dig in and say that it's either nothing or everything yeah i think i've I've mentioned before um that i think the great value in defensive metrics is not necessarily that they tell you whether one player is you know two runs better than another player but that they tell you that basically the boundaries between the the value of good defense versus bad defense we now know pretty well that a good defender you know is worth I don't know that the best defender is worth maybe 30 more runs at his position than the worst. And that's valuable. And so then you just have to figure out however you want to, whether it's good or bad. And so like in this case, McCarthy is able to tell me whether their clubhouse chemistry is good or bad. He knows better than I do. I trust him. What we don't know is how much good, good chemistry can possibly matter. And I would say that 24 wins is probably a bit higher than I would ever imagine. The most divisive, uh, think were knuckleballs and uh, reliever and Kenny brought up both of those in his his inaugural address that kind of got things started and then it seemed like every subsequent speaker had some take on it or someone would ask about it at the end of every session and uh, Kenny's position was that he thinks knuckleballs are just so effective that he doesn't understand why to cultivate knuckleball pitchers more. He thinks that it's possible that at some point in the future, knuckleballs will be outlawed because some team will start some sort of knuckleball academy and just churn out knuckleballers, and it'll be a bunch of 40-year-olds who aren't are, are unhittable uh, and eventually outlawed. And then Bill James responded to that point, and he brought up an, an interesting thing I thought was that there are a lot of institutional uh, obstacles between 
a knuckleballer making it to the majors and not, which was not something I had really thought of before. I always think of the knuckleball being rare just because it's a, a difficult pitch to throw, which is, is probably true. There's probably some truth to that, but he mentioned the fact that if you're a, a minor league knuckleballer, no one can catch you and no one knows how to coach you. Uh, and so that really makes it a lot harder for you to make it to the major leagues because teams are just uh, less willing to put you on their roster. And if you are on their roster, it's it's really hard to just kind of go through the, the, the basic, I mean, enjoy the basic advantages that any player enjoys, like personalized coaching from someone who knows what he's talking about or a catcher who can catch your pitches. Uh, so presumably that's something that a, a knuckleball academy would would solve if someone were to do that. Uh, the other thing, Brian Kenny, he told this story uh, about a boxing match. I think it was Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins, maybe. I don't know anything about boxing. Uh, and he was watching this Kellerman, and one of the guys uh, punched the other guy in the liver by accident, I guess, and the other guy was down for the count. And his daughter was in the room watching and she said what happened and they explained it was a liver shot uh and she said why why don't every boxer just aim for the liver uh and 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 max just kind of hemmed and hawed and and said oh well you don't do that and and eventually came to realize that there is no real reason that that people don't just do that that maybe they should just do that so he was saying that Bullpen usage could be that kind of liver shot in baseball that he doesn't understand why we still use starting pitchers at all, uh, that he thinks that the first team that just kind of goes all in on relievers and starts with relievers and relieves with relievers and closes with relievers will have a huge advantage and will win. Um, And then it will be adopted by everyone. Whereas Bill James, in his talk, said that he thinks... uh, the typical bullpen usage now is is counterproductive, that it doesn't make sense for teams to go matchups, to play matchups, and make 200 pitching changes a year to get a lefty-on-lefty matchup. He thinks that's worth five runs a year, he said, not more than five runs a year, although he hmm. later said it could be something like eight. He didn't want to be tied to, to that particular number, but hmm. he thinks that uh, it's counterproductive and that it is a much bigger advantage to have a better bench uh, to replace players defensively and pitch it for them and, and do other things, uh, and that he hasn't really proved it, and he's open to being disproved, but he believes it. I could have had this show over 13 minutes ago if I hadn't asked that question. Yeah, you shouldn't have asked me that. that last I, just, I thought these other things and started talking. Yeah, not even really answering the question now that I think about it. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It was interesting stuff. I'm, those were great anecdotes. Those are great stories, Ben. Good stuff there. All right. Okay, so we're done. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com, and perhaps we will answer them. <laughs>